Well, church, I don't know if you are anything like me, but even if you don't want to go to something, you still want the invite. Yeah. <laughs> right? We love to be invited. We love when somebody would go out of their way to invite us to join them, to spend time with them, all the more so the more important that person is or the more we think about them and how important they might be. Everybody likes to be invited. And church, last week, as we worked our way through the book of Mark, in verses 14 and 15, we saw Jesus preaching the kingdom of God. Today, what we're going to look at is what happens when that king comes a calling. When the one who would preach the kingdom of God here now available to us would be the one who would come and invite. We're in Mark chapter 1, starting in verse 16 through verse 20. Hear the word of the Lord. It says, passing along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. Church, we live in a world where the vast majority have no idea what they are missing. As the old saying goes, you don't know what you don't know. And church, what we need to know is that the world does not know Jesus. And they don't even know the need they have for Jesus. What we see in our passage today is what those who have not been connected to the Lord who have not heard of him before or heard much about him before, what happens when they have an encounter with the king and what happens in their lives. So church, what we want to do is explore this passage today that we might see not only what Jesus did in them, but that we might also see what Jesus is doing now. What I pray he's done for every person in this room, though I make no illusion of that, there may be someone or some ones who, who have yet to receive or hear that invitation and follow it into a relationship with Christ. We start in verse 16. It says, passing along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea for they were fishermen. I, I, I love that. For they were fishermen, right? Mark tells us that Simon and his brother, Andrew, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Well, of course they were casting a net into the sea if they were fishermen. They are doing exactly what is to be expected of them. On this day, we know that 
They're not bad guys. They're not involved in some crazy sin that we know of, unless you happen to watch the show Chosen, which takes a certain amount of creative license with the story. They're just regular, ordinary guys trying to do regular, ordinary things like raise and keep their families going, right? They're, they're working and they're doing life. They're working hard. They're doing the best that they can within what they know. They're doing exactly as one would expect of them, unaware that something truly amazing is about to happen and that their entire lives are about to change. They're casting their net into the sea like they have thousands, hundreds of thousands of times before this. Most of us, if we've been Christians for very long, or maybe if we've only been Christians for a short while, we may remember who we were before Christ came into our lives. For some of us as adults, we have an easier time remembering that, remembering that, that we were a mess, we were broken, we were just trying to make it with what we knew when suddenly Christ showed up. For others of us, we've been Christians too long or we came to Christ too young and we have a hard time remembering that what we were doing at age six or eight or ten before Christ was real to us is just getting along. Just doing the best that we could with what we were. We were doing what was expected of us. I think about all those people in the world right now who are just getting along, just walking through, doing the best that they can with what they know, which church is not enough. They don't know what they don't know. They don't know what they're missing. And how can they? Romans 10 verses 14 through 15, the apostle Paul writes this. He says, how then will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? Church, modern Christians spend far too much time being angry and frustrated with other people in this world who are living in darkness. We spend far too much time being critical of those who don't know any better. And how could they know any better if they don't know Jesus? We look at these four fishermen on the, on the shore of this sea, going about their everyday life, just doing what they do to get by, unaware of what's about to happen. Church, the modern church gets far too angry at those who don't know. Two things to think about. The first is this. The world is apart from Christ. And the world apart from Christ acts like the world apart from Christ. Church, we should not be surprised, nor should it frustrate us, nor should it make us angry. In fact, what it should do is excite us. 
It should excite us when people of the world are doing the things of the world. Because what would happen if Christ were to show up? Would they be like you and like me? Like Simon and Andrew and James and John who Jesus suddenly shows up for and everything changes. Church, we should not be frustrated or angry at the world. It is what it is apart from Christ. What we should be is motivated. Motivated that those people in our lives that we love and care for, that we encounter every day might know Jesus the way we've come to know him. In a way that would change every bit of our lives. As we're going to see, it begins to do for these four men on this day. The second thing I think we do with this is look even into our own hearts and our own lives and we see that the Lord has begun to change us in those same ways. I don't know if you've been a Christian for 80 years or six minutes. Either way, the Lord has begun to work in you and move you and transform you and change you. And I believe that that transformation is one of the many ways that God assures us that he's at work in us. That we are not, we should not be the same people today that we were yesterday. And we certainly should not be the same people today that we were the day before we became Christians. And the world and the Lord truly began to work anew in us. See, we are led as Christians to a new purpose. And that's the next thing we see in our passage here. A new purpose These four go from being fishermen to being fishers of men. Verse 17. It says, And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. Now, we're going to come back to this first phrase, the invitation Jesus makes in just a minute, to follow me. What I want to land in right now is that he will make them. He says, I will make you fishers of men. Let me just say, this first is a creative use of their profession to inspire them. Jesus truly is a creative. And he loves to use that which we know to lead us into that which we don't yet know. This is undoubtedly part of his strategy, but it's not limited to these four in this very particular context. See, Jesus... The author of scripture, the the one who gave us the word, told us all the way back in Jeremiah 16, 16 through 18. the, The prophet writes this on the words of God. He says, behold, I am sending for many fishers, declared the Lord, and they shall catch them. Now, real quick. We've got a lot of folks in this room who have been Christians for a long time. How many of you have ever come across or remember that scripture? Me neither. <laughs> right? Me neither. Jeremiah 16, 16 through 18, and I'm only reading verse 16 of this. It says, Behold, I'm sending for many fishers, declares the Lord, and they shall catch them. Most of the time we read these gospel accounts of Jesus coming to the first disciples, those who would be disciples, fishermen, and he leads them into this using this great phrase, you will become fishers of men. 
And we have no idea what the context of that is. It is not an accident that the first people Jesus turns to and invites to become fishers of men are a very fulfillment of the Old Testament scriptures. Church, in case you don't know this, the Old Testament is really important. We cannot unhitch it from our faith. We can't. See, Jesus has been doing a work for generations and generations and generations. He has been leading this. And in this instance, he goes to these fishermen and invites them to become fishers of men as a fulfillment of Scripture. He says, again, Behold, I'm sending for many fishers, declares the Lord, and they shall catch them. Now, in case you don't know this, four is not many. Four is a few, right? One of the things that tells us is that if this is the beginning of the fulfillment of that scripture, then all those that Jesus calls to be disciples are the continuation of that scripture. This is not just an invitation he makes to four fishermen on the side of the Sea of Galilee. This is an invitation that he makes to all that he says, follow me. And all who will follow him and become fishers of men. Now that he comes to these four, these four fishermen helps us with a clearer picture of what it means that we might become fishers of men. I think one of the challenges that we often have is that is that we are really, really bad at remembering what things were like then versus what they are now. So I don't know about you, but every time since I was a kid that I heard you're going to become fishers of men, I picture a rod, <laughs> right, with a reel and bait and a hook. And I love fishing. My kids love fishing. I think we're actually going to try to go fishing this afternoon somewhere just to go do that. We picture reeling in a bloody fish <laughs> that has been pierced and mistreated. And, you know, we can talk about that another day. But that's not what we should picture here. See, they're, they're net fishing. They're casting their nets. They're not reeling one fish at a time. And with any luck and any hope, they are bringing in a ton of fish every single time. In fact, if we look at the, this account in a couple of the other Gospels, Matthew and Luke, we actually discover that when Jesus gets there, Peter has had a really bad fishing night and hasn't caught anything. He says, throw your net over to the other side. And Peter catches more than he can handle. When I think about this, one of the things we need to be really clear about is that this is not a hobby. This is not a pastime. It is not even a passion for these men. It's livelihood. It is essential. In the words of our modern language, right, we would look at this in COVID lockdown and these guys still would have been out in their boats casting nets. Because if they didn't, somebody would have starved their families first, followed by everybody who would have relied on that for food. It is essential. And as we become fishers of men, we need to know that it is essential that we too would cast our nets. 
But more than that, you think about these men. This is their livelihood. This is their life. They've been doing it since they were small children. It takes more than throwing a net into the sea to catch a fish. Along with that comes knowledge, when and where to throw the net. Practice, right? To reliably throw that net where you want and have it open in just the right way so it sinks down. I guarantee if I was out there today, nothing would be caught. Pretty sure this afternoon, nothing will be caught. Because it takes knowledge, it takes practice, right? The same thing is true as we would fish for men. Not only that, but there is fixing the net. We actually read that two of these brothers are actively fixing nets while they're out there. We think about it this way. So often the methods need to be tweaked and changed. What worked 50, 30, 20, 10 years ago may not work the same way now. What worked a week ago as far as our culture goes, might not work today. Here's another thought. Here's another thought. Think about fishing for men. What do we do with them once we catch them? Right? I mean, think about Peter on that day and his nets are overflowing and his boat's full of enough fish that it tells, Scripture tells us that his boat was sinking. What do you do with that? You gotta get those things to market before the heat of the sun just destroys everything. See, the task of becoming fishers of men is not so simple when you really look at the guys that Jesus is speaking to as he invites them and us to become fishers of men as we follow him. Church, let me ask you, are you casting your nets? Are you casting your nets? Now, I'll tell you, there's a lot of ways to cast nets. For some of us, we we feel a lot of guilt over whether we are or not. We think about what we're doing or not doing as far as sharing the gospel with people. And part of the reason for that is because we have become convinced that fishing means catching. But Jesus doesn't tell them they will catch. He tells them they need to fish. Any hunter knows, any fisher knows, we we don't go out and hunt or shoot things, right? We we go out and, and hunt, which does not always involve the end. Fishing, I go fishing, but rarely catch anything. It's not about the catch, it's about the faithfulness in casting the net. See, one of the ways we cast our nets is by sharing the gospel boldly. We talked about that. Our, our core commitments that we have here is our fourth core commitment to go show and tell the gospel boldly. We talked about that a number of weeks ago. We need to be those who share the gospel boldly. How do we do that? Well, for some of us, we're going to be able to do that really effectively and really well and really eloquently. Some of us do it like myself, preaching in front of people. Let me share a really simple way straight out of our text today. It's called the 10-second testimony. Every one of us, if you're a Christian, has a 10-second testimony. It begins like this. I was once a simple fisherman. Then Jesus came into my life and I became a fisher of men. Do you have a story like that? Or maybe you would prefer it out of the song Amazing Grace. I once was lost. 
and darkness. But then Jesus came into my life and I was found in him, no longer wandering on my own. Do you have a story like that? Or maybe a little more personal for some of you. I was once an addict focused on erasing my own pain, but then Jesus came into my life. He healed me, and now I know that life is about serving God and serving others. Do you have a story like that? Church, if you've been a Christian for more than about six minutes, you have a 10-second testimony. I once was dot, dot, dot. Fill the blank in. And then Jesus came into my life, and now I'm dot, dot, dot. And the important bit at the end is that question. Do you have a story like that? That opens up the door to somebody saying no or somebody saying yes, but opens up the door to a conversation that you get to share even more about what Christ has done for you. Are you casting out your nets? Another way that we cast our nets is to show the gospel boldly. How do we do so? We love the community. We engage with people, especially the hurting and the lost. We put ourselves in their lives. We go from our buildings and our homes into places that need a gospel light. Are you casting your nets? Another way we do that is through inviting people into our homes, into our churches, and into our lives. We invite them. How awesome is it when we are invited? People love to be invited. Whether they come or not, they love to be invited. In church, that's one of the ways that we cast our nets. So what we see in the movement here is these disciples, they're going from not knowing Jesus to an entirely changed purpose and into an entirely new identity as they begin to follow Jesus. And that brings us back to that phrase that we want to come to, verse 17. What does it mean to follow Jesus? Verse 17, Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. In verse 18, we see the result of that. Immediately they left their nets and they followed him. Verse 20, again, we see the response. And immediately he called them and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. Follow me. They followed him. They followed him. This is a loaded word. Make no mistake. They knew it. They understood what Jesus was doing in this moment. What he's doing is inviting them to be his disciples. They're invited, he's inviting them to join him in a journey. See, Jesus was the up-and-coming rabbi. He's already begun to be recognized. People are speaking about him in the streets and the crowds and in the synagogue. They're talking about his teaching. The crowds, the, the community is interested in what's happening here. And it's Jesus who comes to these four and invites them to be his disciples. Now that's significant. Because to become a disciple of a rabbi in this day and age in that time was a really significant thing. And it didn't happen by invitation. It happened through years and years 
and years of hard work, memorizing, sitting under teachers, not being a disciple, learning, growing. It, it required a family's commitment to send their child, their child who could be earning a living, to school instead. It required a commitment from those students to memorize the entirety, word for word, of the first five books of the Old Testament. You couldn't even be considered if you hadn't done that. And you would go and then you would apply yourself to that teacher. You'd say, teacher, here's my qualifications. Here's who I am. And the teacher would pick the best of the best of the best out of all of that. And if you didn't make the cut, then eventually you wandered back to your family's job, to whatever they did. And, and you left that life behind. Here's four men that are called and invited by Jesus to become his disciples. While others were memorizing scriptures, they were casting nets. While others were studying and learning and growing in all of this, what are they doing? They're sitting there with their families in their boats night after night, fishing and fishing. These are the most everyday, ordinary guys. And Jesus comes to them and says, I want you. I look at this room and I, and I see a room full of the same kind of people. Everyday, ordinary, normal kind of people. Jesus has said to you, I want you. I want you to be my follower. I want you to come after me. That's what the word, this phrase, this, this word, when he says, follow me, what he's inviting him to do is to come behind him. That's the literal of it. To come after me. To follow so amazing to think that these guys were invited to come. And here's the reality. How could they not? Right? This would be like Elon Musk showing up at your door today and saying, hey, I don't know who you are, but I hear you want to be an engineer. I'm going to disciple you into that. I'm going to make that happen. That would be like Bezos, the guy who runs Amazon, saying, hey, I want you to be my disciple. I'm going to pass off this entire thing to you when, you, when you're ready. Right? We can think about all these, about big names. We can think about how, how cool that would be. See, Jesus has just said the kingdom is here. The king has just shown up and said, hey, I want you to come with me. I want you to follow me. And church, what you need to know about this is it's not a safe invitation. This is not a safe invitation to them. They have no idea what they're getting into, right? At best, the, the scriptures tell us in, in Mark and in Luke, we're told that, that one of these brothers had an idea who Jesus was before this. They might have heard him teaching in the synagogue or in the, in the circle in town. They might have encountered him once or twice before, but they don't know the full breadth of his teaching and they don't know the destiny that he has to the cross. He speaks to them. He says, follow me. And they leave everything and they go. Church, I remember my decision to follow Christ when I was a teenager, a child in mind, at heart, in every way. I had no idea where that decision was going to take me. And let me just make the guess. Everyone in this room is the same exact way. If you're a Christian, 
You had no idea what God was going to do with you when you started that journey. He said, follow me. And something in your heart, something in your head, something in your life said, yes. I had no idea of the depths of my own heart and my soul that God would bring me through because I said yes. I had no idea the literal places that I would end up going, places I never would have dreamed of being. But he said, follow me. No idea what the challenges that would come. No idea what the truths of scripture that because I said yes all those years ago, I would need to keep assenting to. Right? There's things in scripture that we don't like when we become Christians. There's things that we don't want to like when we become Christians. And some people, they, they get to those and it actually is the wall that comes up and they stop following Christ. But for some of us, we read through those things and we find them, we realize them in our hearts, we don't like it. And so instead of changing what scripture says, what we do is we say, Lord, change this. Change my heart. Too many times I read scripture, even still today, I'm reading something and I say, Lord, change my heart on this. I don't like what you said here. I certainly don't love what you said here. Help me to love that, right? I believe there's probably somebody in this room right now who needs to hear the words of Jesus to you right now. He's saying, follow me. And there's a part in your head, your heart, you have no idea what you're in for, but today's the day. Today's the day. Don't wait. You have no idea. But every person in this room who said yes before will tell you it was worth it. And so Jesus says, follow me. And it tells us, scripture tells us that both these groups of brothers followed him. Now, what does that mean? It means they went Walking with him. That's what following means, right? He invites them to come after him. And when it says follow him, it means to walk with him. A number of years ago, a popular Bible teacher emphasized the idea here that what it meant to be a disciple of any rabbi was to walk in the dust of your master. To walk in the dust of your master. And the idea was that you would spend so much time with your teacher, with your master, going where he went, walking with and behind him, that you were walking in the dust of your master. To one of the many reasons that I love living in southern Colorado, actually in particularly this valley, is that it actually gives us a really good understanding of the terrain of the Bible. You may not know this. Where we live in the San Luis Valley is incredibly like Israel. Very similar geography. Very, very similar geography. You've got, you've got high desert scrubland. You've got mountains around. And you've got incredibly fertile soil. That's literally what Israel was like. <laughs> and still is in, in many ways. And so we can picture this. You and I can picture this. If you've ever been on a hiking trail with a three-year-old who scuffs their feet along the way. Right? They're, they're walking, they're scuffing. And what are you doing? You're walking behind them coughing. Right? Not only is the dust getting on you, but you can taste it in your mouth. 
And that's the image that you're supposed to have as you think about a disciple following Jesus, walking in the dust of the master. Now, fortunately for us, you and I, we don't really need to walk in the dust of Jesus. But let me ask you a question. Are we walking close enough with him that we are experiencing his dust falling on us? Do you, do we sit in God's word in the same way that these brothers in our passage would have then sat with Jesus? Taking in every word, listening to every word. Do you, do we walk with Jesus going to the kinds of places that he would go? To spend time with the kinds of people that Jesus would spend time with? Church, let me ask you this. Do we, do you walk with your brothers and sisters in the same way they did? See, one of the things that I think about when walking in the dust of their master is they were never alone. See, to be called to be a disciple was was always a group endeavor. It's actually interesting. Jesus never had one single disciple. These four are the first ones. You think about Simon and Andrew. They came in pairs John and James also came in pairs. So Jesus went from no disciples to four disciples, which means as they're walking from that place to wherever they went, it's no longer the dust of one getting all over them. It's the dust of four and five. Now, we often forget there weren't just 12 apostles. There weren't just 12 original disciples. There was actually between 70 and 100 Now picture this, you're walking down a dusty road with 70 to 100 people. What's happening? All the dust from all these people is getting kicked up all over the place. And right there you have an incredible picture of the church. An incredible picture of what it looks like to be the church that follows Jesus. And you're walking in each other's dust. As we all walk in Jesus' dust that we would know each other well enough to taste, and this sounds pretty gross, one another's mess, right? That we would know and love and support one another to, to be there in those moments. See, Jesus is inviting us to be a part of something bigger than just ourselves and bigger than him, his church. And what we see happen in our passage here is something we need to see for ourselves as we decide, yes, Lord, I want to follow you. In verse 18, it says, immediately they left their nets and followed him. And in verse 20, it says they, that they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and they followed him. So this command to follow came with a parallel command that's implied here, and it is the leaving of an old life behind. It is the leaving of an old life behind. Simon and Andrew leave. They left their nets. This is their business. This is what they did to support their families. And Jesus calls them. He does not say to them, leave your nets. But what do they do? They leave them. They walk away. Andrew, or John and James, 
They get called by Christ. And what do they do? They walk away from their father and their servants, their business, everything they know. And they go and they follow Jesus. See, the call to follow Jesus is a parallel call to leave something behind. To leave something behind. Maybe everything. The jobs, families, everything they know. Most of us were not called at that level to leave, to walk away from everything. But some of us have been. Is there anything in your life right now that if Christ called you to walk away from it, you would walk away from Christ instead? Jesus said, follow me. And both sets of brothers left everything behind and followed him. My fear for some of us, my fear for myself, honestly, is that we like going halfway. But Jesus calls us to go all the way. Church, the invitation is made to us by Christ himself. Follow me. Follow me. And the question that we have is, will we? Church, hear this. Jesus came a-calling. They went following. What are we doing? Jesus came calling. They went following. What are we doing? Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth of scripture, Lord. And even as it is hard, and especially as it's hard, Lord, that your spirit would work in us and move us. I thank you, God, for your work. I thank you for what you're doing in this church. I thank you for what you're doing in this valley, in this state, and in your world, Lord. I pray, God, that we would see that you're not done. Lord, we love you and we praise you. I also pray, God, that if there's anyone in this room who does not yet know you, today would be the day they would hear that invitation, not from me, but from you. Your spirit moving in their heart, in their head, in their mind, Lord, in their soul, to lead them to you. God, we thank you for what you're doing. And we pray, Lord, that we would submit to that and to you. We love you, Lord, and we praise you. Amen.